checking on this microphone. It seems mine is working. Yeah, mine over here. Are we working over here? Oh, yeah, it looks like we oh, are. Oh, we, we are recording. We are recording. Look at us go. Welcome to Mirapod Taste Buds. We are your buds back in action mm-hmm. after, I feel like a while, but it probably hasn't been that long. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> We're actually on schedule, so. <laughs> We're trying to be. <laughs> but we've got your lovely buds here, Melissa. And Emily. And we have a treat for you today. We are going to be talking about the ever-wonderful, ever-elusive Upper Peninsula of Michigan. <laughs> 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 and the wonderful foods that you crave from up up yonder. Yeah. The youper life. That youper life. Mm-hmm. Before we get into it, you want to talk about what we're drinking today? Today, it is just a, a cheap rosé from Target. Because, oh wow, rosé from Target. You hear that, folks? I know. Doesn't that sound crisp and delicious? It really is. It's, I highly recommend. It's back. They got a good five buck, you know, dealio at mm-hmm. uh, the old Target there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's called California Roots or something like that. Yeah. But she's a real gem, mm-hmm. real cheap, and pretty delicious for the price. Yeah. I was really craving a rosé, not yeah. going to lie. Yeah, it's nice. Good summer vibes, for Yeah, sure. definitely. And boy, do we need it after a long day's work. So It has been a long couple of weeks. We said that this month was going to be like our chill month where we cooked a bunch and didn't go out and like worked on a bunch of projects. What an illusion. That was such an illusion. I think it was like a mirage, you know, where you see it off in the distance. You're like, yeah, (laughs) it's going to be this great, wonderful paradise. Uh." And then you get closer and you're like, this is a puddle. Yeah, this, this is, is trash. Trash. Yeah, that was a haze on that the horizon. That was yeah, nothing. There was, was nothing. A fog, Straight a mist that just evaporated. Mm. Yeah, that's the reality. Um, you the just eyes. reminded me of the John Oliver where he said that Putin quote, <laughs> 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 which I can't remember it exactly oh. now, but I believe it's something like happiness is a mirage on the horizon or something. It like is that, basically is that. Hilarious. Yeah, it was like it doesn't exist. Yeah, it does not exist. <laughs> Mm-hmm. True, pru- like so Russian, so yeah. Putin. It was yeah. beautiful. If you haven't watched that episode of John Oliver, what are you yeah. doing? With we your shot life? him out a lot, but man, just brought it back. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> Hopefully, one day he listens to our podcast, and then he's like, "Wow, they listen to me!" Correct. And then we're best friends, and mm-hmm. we skip off into the distance. That's what I like to imagine. <laughs> All right, let's bring it back. Um, so the reason we're talking about this is because we recently visited the UP or Upper Peninsula, um, which is weird because it's above Wisconsin, so it's not really Michigan, Michigan when you think yeah. about it. What a, what a lie. What yeah. a trope. You How know? did they, they get it? Confused. Yeah. Not sure. No. They boggled didn't everybody. That. No. Mm. Yeah. It it's one of those things that. where it's like man-made boundaries that make no freaking sense yeah and i'm surprised canada doesn't just like take it back I yeah don't know. how did we get it at all it's yeah. a it's a mystery to us all it's very unclear anyway probably should have done more research on i know that. now i want to know we're gonna have to research it now after after this silly so before we dive dive in 
there are a few things that have happened recently that we wanted to share with you. Hell yeah. And one is that I was listening to another podcast, which is Eater's Digest, which reminded me of our episode talking about community gardens because they had Eric Adams, the New York mayoral frontrunner, on there talking about his relationship to like food and some of his ideas for policy, which I've never aligned with a political candidate on really before. So that was really cool. He's... I feel like that's a rare like platform for a politician to run with, mm-hmm. you know, like I, no one talks about food. No. Even though it's like such a key issue in America. 100%. And they actually had a, a talk about how he's one of two openly vegan politicians that they could like think of. And openly I was like, that's vegan. Yeah. I was like, that's such like a weird thing to <laughs> I think love about. Hello. That's like a new identity we're trying yes. to, to capture. I'm yes. here for it. No, <laughs> me funny. too. But he actually has some really cool ideas about rooftop farming and food as a weapon in general and how mm. he wants to bring, like, rooftop farming and urban farming to schools, prisons, and hospitals to completely, like, transform the food system in those places, which is insane to think a major city would be on on that tip. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. Food as a weapon, I think, is such a, a powerful statement and a mm-hmm. really cool concept and idea. And, like, an article that I would love to read. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or a book, even. That's definitely, like, so accurate. Yeah. You know, it's it's something that can for sure be weaponized like that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he has had his own struggles with, with health, especially as, like, a black man and, and kind of his own um, dietary needs for his body to, like, be at the level that he wants it to be at. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting to hear him talk about that um, in a sense. And also, he also talked about agrarian societies and how, like, that's how we used to be. Yes. Like, farms. Farmers. So true. So that was really cool. I was like, oh, in my other life, it's still coming around. Full circle. <laughs> Way cool. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing we wanted to mention is that this week we appeared on another podcast. Woo! Yeah. So um, we appeared on Mirpaw Podcast. He reached out to us um, and interviewed us on there which was really cool and just want to shout him out and give him another thank you because that was really fun to just kind of talk about our relationship to food in another way and hopefully meet some new listeners and spread the word yeah definitely highly recommend his podcast it's really interesting to like hear other people's connection to food like you're talking about yeah and like traditions yeah and And i I think his you know kind of came out of the pandemic much like ours did and it was like Mm -hmm. hey this is something i'm passionate about and other people are passionate about let's talk about it totally it's such an interesting topic yeah it's such an interesting topic so yeah much love to to mirepoix podcast and Mm -hmm. all things mirepoix yes 100 (laughs) (laughs) keeping it mirepoix All right, well, let's get cooking. Let's get cooking. So there's a couple different things in the Upper Peninsula that are a pretty big deal. So pasties is one of the things we're going to talk about. Jams and jellies and then fish from Lake Superior, obviously. Broadly. (laughs) Yes, broadly. So our uncle's family is from up there. So we got to experience some of the lifestyle on a recent trip over Father's Day weekend. And obviously, like, I'd known about pasties before this but i'd never had one and he had already like made an itinerary with my aunt and like told us all the things that we had to do and that was one of them was to acquire pasties so yeah it's funny because it's spelled like pasty 
And when you hear the, or see the word, you're like, pasty, that's weird. And that doesn't sound appetizing, but it's a pasty and they're amazing. Yes, <laughs> truly. I love that it was like part of family tradition and stuff and like, you know, that that's what you do when you go to the Upper Peninsula. And yeah. you will find places that sell them like mm-hmm. pretty much everywhere. There's signs yeah. everywhere you go. As soon as you cross the border from Wisconsin, you start seeing signs for them. And like gas stations have them, like little roadside stands. Like there's like a lot of little places that have just like a sign that's like, pasties here. Yeah, yeah. we got them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because you really don't see them too until you like cross that bridge and you're actually in the Upper Peninsula region. Because yeah. like the rest of Michigan, the rest of Wisconsin, that's like not a thing. People don't know what that is. <laughs> not as not as much. It, it said also it's kind of interesting when they actually built that. Um, I think it was the bridge that went across to maybe it was the ferry. I don't know. Whenever they connected the Upper Peninsula to like the rest of Michigan, that kind of also traveled to the other side of Michigan and kind of became more of a commonality mm-hmm. um, as a Michigander that you'll see. But yeah, it's definitely more of a UP thing. For yeah, sure. I feel like the UP has such a a vibe about them. You know, they refer to themselves as like Upers, right? Mm-hmm. Like define someone who's a native or resident of that upper peninsula region of Michigan um, and his little nickname for that. And I just think that's that's so interesting, a very distinct culture. Yeah, it is. It's one of those things that's also really cool because these are like sort of Americanized traditions, which is kind of cool. It's for one of those sure. things that kind of evolved into its own culture. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk what a pasty is. Um, at the core, it's a pastry shell stuffed with various different kinds of fillings. It's kind of like an empanada or a calzone or maybe a hand pie. I feel like there's so many different like cultural variations of the same thing, essentially. When I was in Bolivia, actually, there was something similar to a pasty, which was called a saltena. Mm, um, and they were so good. You'd find them everywhere there. There's little carts all along the mm. streets and... It was a little more like stew-like on the inside than I would say a pasty is, um, but it was delicious. Had lots of you know vegetables and meats inside of it, and I think it even had like a whole egg. But that's oh, kind of like what I would like. Yeah, it was like a whole boiled egg in there, um, like hard boiled egg. Yeah, it was weird, <laughs> and you would like get it, and it'd be I don't know a burst of flavor. But okay, uh, yeah. So a pasty is is an, I'm sorry, a pasty is very similar to a lot of those different kind of hand pie foods. Um, its origins are from the Cornish people, which are people from Cornwall, England. Um, Cornwall actually had the biggest tin mining and one of the biggest copper mining industries in the world. And uh, pasties were originally developed for Cornish miners. The Cornish people then kind of migrated to um, the United States, mostly to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, because, again, there was a large mining industry there in the 1800s. Um, it's known as copper country up there, which we actually got to kind of see firsthand by going inside of a, a mine and yes, doing did. a whole mine tour, which was pretty crazy because they're terrifying, but slightly <laughs> terrifying. Definitely. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend, and I definitely would not have wanted to be a miner, but oh my God, worst job ever. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. But it was cool to, to see that history because it is for sure like old mining towns up there and. Um, it really shaped the landscape up in the Upper Peninsula. So, um, yeah, the Cornish people really, really evolved um, and came to that place to, for mining work and um, brought over the, the pasty for that reason. It was kind of the perfect mining food. And then later in the 1800s, there was a really big Finnish migration to the Upper Peninsula as well. 
um, again, kind of coming for, for mining jobs. And the, the pasties became very popular with Finnish miners as well, but they kind of made it their own and substituted carrots for, for rutabaga commonly. Um, and it's actually kind of mis, a misconception that pasties are a Finnish food instead of a Cornish one, but both equally important and played a vital role into shaping the food that we know today. Yeah, pasties were so quintessential, I feel like, because they were, like, really quick and easy and portable to eat for miners. So they'd have this thick dough and this, like, dense filling that would stay warm for several hours, sometimes until lunchtime, or you could easily reheat them over the flame of, like, an oil lamp. So I heard, I saw a story that people would, like, reheat them literally on their shovel over an oil lamp. And I was like, oh, that sounds disgusting. Gross. But yeah. if you're it's a miner, yeah. down there in that mine, the hotter, the lower down oh, yeah, you get. True. So there you go. Just put it on your shovel and she's she's frying up. Okay. <laughs> you put it over an oil lamp still, lady. Whoa. <laughs> but I mean, the fact that it Can't would stay... can that candle going out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is so real. Yeah. The fact that it would stay warm for so long is, like, crucial, though. Yeah. So, and it For would a 12-hour easily... work day like that, you needed it to yeah. maintain. Yeah. And they would easily fit into, like, their lunch pails, so very transportable. Um, they were sealed with, like, that thick crimp, which I guess is kind of a Cornish staple. I guess when you, like, look up um, what that looks like, it's kind of where you just use your finger to kind of fold it over, and you fold it over your finger as you go, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I feel like is... It's something I've done before without even realizing that really it was a Cornish thing. Yeah. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Who knew? Um, Yeah, who knew? But they were also supposedly, they had those like edges so that when their dirty fingers were like touching them, they could just like throw away that crust because their fingers would actually contain traces of arsenic often or like other contaminants that they didn't want to get on the rest of the pasty. So then they would just like throw away this crust and it still seems too close for comfort, I'd say. Oh, yeah. No, there's nothing <laughs> clean about being in a mine, though. Like, that's, that's also true. <laughs> let's be real. It's dark. It's wet. It's gross. You're doing the best with what you get. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny. When we were down there, they were saying that they would throw them to, for, like, the rats, mm. um, essentially. But I guess in, in Cornish times, there's also a lot of, like, superstition in some cases. So they think there's, like, usually, like, sprites or, or some sort of, like, harmful, like, spirits down there that they would, like, Ooh. appease by throwing, like, the crusts to by, like, giving little offerings of food. I love so that. I love that, too. It's just like, no, here, this is for the, for yeah, the gods. Some for Protect Pachamama. us. <laughs> yeah. They call it, I think Pour one knockers, out. which I was like, well, that's a weird, <laughs> weird term for that. Unclear. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> but so... Those crimped edges, sometimes the filling goes like all the way to them, but you would discard what was ever left with your dirty hands. But it was also like a really hearty filling that had a lot of like sustenance in there. So typically you're seeing a lot of like meat, potatoes, onion, you know, like a real thick. And they're literally very large. Like some of them were like, someone said it was like two pounds. I was like, I don't know if the one I had was two pounds, but it was definitely (laughs) like a big thing, a meaty boy. Yeah. Yeah. So I was actually really happy because I was able to find vegetarian ones, which I did not think was going to be as easy as it was. So that was super exciting because I was pretty much like resigned to maybe eating meat or not having one. And then I was like, oh, I can. I think that's interesting, too, because a lot of the things it's like they haven't really evolved or changed that much. You know, it's like it's Mm -hmm. not like other food cultures where there's a lot of, you know, fusion or evolution Mm -hmm. of the dish. It's like this is traditional it's about simplicity yeah it's simplicity Mm -hmm. it was it was 
practical yeah and it practical. served a function rather than like yeah. a taste yeah so which like they are really classically good without doing much to them also at the mm-hmm. same time like you don't need to add a bunch of herbs and spices like typically it's just like salt and pepper is what I've, I've read to be like a typical standard cornish one it seems yeah. like um which is pretty surprising Seems wild that like that could flavor something enough but hey man i mean hey don't mess with a good thing yeah exactly got that onion in there to bring everything else out mm, always the onion yeah so the other thing was great was they could eat them without utensils and things too so easy hand hand pie yeah hand uh, pie. done done so one of the other fun facts i found was that sometimes their initials would be engraved in the dough at one end so if the miner didn't finish it all in one sitting they could easily identify that one as their own which is hilarious hilarious and another one was that if you're you had a really great wife she might <laughs> take the ingenuity and just make one that was divided into like two different sections so you could have like a savory one and a sweet one so you could have like a dessert one which is absurd to all me all these doting bit, wives bless yeah. your hearts mm-hmm. my goodness just making a whole batch of those i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> but they really needed it to be like a complete meal though so it just kind of was sweet you know <laughs> think ahead yeah real sweet <sighs> so i specifically when you're talking about like a cornish pasty they're a turnover shaped thing essentially either way but they're always usually filled with beef and vegetables and then sealed with that typical characteristic Cornish sealing technique, which I feel like looks like what you would imagine like most empanadas or like things like that yeah, like have that kind of edges. same crimped edge. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like I've seen it so many times over. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting that that's like a, a Cornish thing. Table. Yeah, I, I would have no idea. I feel like I've seen that on so many different types right? of like things. Right, like types of things. And then, yeah, it's just a good way to seal. Maybe, yeah, just... If you're not sealing with a fork, you yeah. know. Right, right. Yeah, like how else are you going to seal this baby? you got to make sure the juices stay in there. Yeah. <laughs> so typically also they would have potatoes, rutabaga, onion, salt and pepper. Um, usually no other seasonings or anything that was involved. And then usually the ingredients would be raw when they were assembled and then really slowly baked to get that flavor and texture right. I think it's so interesting that they were just like assembled raw and then baked slowly. That's I didn't think that that would be how it is for some reason. I thought you would make the filling and cook it first, but pretty cool. Um, there's also some really hilarious facts, I feel like, about the pasty. So... It's such a celebrated emblem for Cornish people that when the Cornish rugby team plays like a big important match, they actually suspend a giant passy (laughs) above the the bar before a game. A little good luck symbol, I suppose. And then there's even a a Cornish young farmers group that's dedicated to celebrating the symbol and created the largest one on record in 1985, which was 32 feet long. So absurd. So absurd. I don't (laughs) know what's more absurd, this 32-foot-long pasty or the 10-foot-long hot dog that we discussed in the grilling episode. Yeah, either way. Both are People love giant food items. Yeah, it's always a a, a (laughs) hilarious thing. Yeah, very real. Um, One of the other superstitions I read was that there was a belief (laughs) surrounding pasties that basically... The devil would not cross the river into Cornwall for fear of becoming a filling of a Cornish pasty after hearing of the Cornish woman's inclination to turn anything into a tasty filling. Absurd. So, yeah. And amazing. Yeah, definitely great. What a fear. Mm-hmm. 
You strike fear in the devil also. Pretty big. Yeah, that's absurd. (laughs) (laughs) Really doing big things. Yeah. Pasties are important. Yeah. Keep you safe. Um, there's some differences though, I think between the UP and the Cornish ones, mostly being that the Cornish pasty has sliced vegetables while the evolved Uper one has diced vegetables. Yeah. I was trying to look for some more other like differences, but obviously like that Finnish thing where they replaced like the rutabaga, rutabaga. with carrots. I think the one that I had actually had replaced them with carrots. Yeah. So it might have rutabaga is finished. like a pretty unusual vegetable nowadays. I feel like you don't see that as often just in general. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, they said either that or turnip, too, was, like, more common before. And I feel like that is a little more old world, kind yeah, of, too. Totally. A little less Americanized, mm-hmm. for sure. Carrots and, yeah, mirepoix just like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to definitely make our own at some point. I, I don't know when. It seems like more of a fall thing, in my definitely opinion. Definitely a fall <laughs> hand food. Pie. Way too hearty uh, for the summer. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> But one of the things that I came across said that obviously you don't want to roll your dough too thin. So um, obviously there's sharper ingredients like a potato or something when it's diced that's going to kind of poke through if it's rolled too thin. But you also could probably roll it thinner and then just put those softer ingredients on the top and the bottom with the harder ingredients kind of sandwiched in the middle. So like onions on the bottom and then potatoes and then rutabagas and then like the meats on top. So it could still kind of work. Um, I personally, the one I had had a fairly thin crust, but like, I don't mind a thicker crust. I love bready things. So like, yeah. I don't know. I'd I have to experiment. Delicious. Yeah. Either way, it's going to be good. So plus if you want that firm crimped crust handle mm-hmm. to hold on yeah, to. Yeah. If you're going to toss that thick one. <laughs> yeah. The one I had did not have enough thick of a crust for me. Like it was very much like edible and easy to get through. So. Would it have got that arsenic off your hands? No, sure. Would have. I would have eaten it and dead. <laughs> But also, they recommend using, like, firmer or waxier potatoes, obviously, ones that, like, hold their shape better, um, which makes total sense. Even when you're making, like, a potato salad or something like that, you're usually thinking about things like that, too. Mm. And, like, leaner cuts of beef, obviously, are better. You don't want to be, be, like, gristly or trying to, like, chew through, like, a gross piece of meat, (laughs) Um, which, for me, already sounds disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I saw another one that recommended doing some butter on the top and then like putting flour over that so it kind of makes more of a gravy and and Mm. also kind of absorbs some of that liquid from the vegetables so it doesn't get too soggy in there too which i could totally see that being kind of an issue if you try to make it too much of a gravy in there where it would like not be crispy enough on the outside um so we'll have to we'll have to try some different things here i'm I'm very curious Uh, the other thing that is a common thing supposedly in the up a lot of people put ketchup on it which for me, I'm I don't really understand the appeal of that as much personally. Yeah, uh, they sold hot sauce at the place I was at when I purchased mine, and I did almost buy a hot sauce because I did want the hot sauce. So I guess <laughs> I could understand that. But I guess they claim that tourists ask for for gravy, but that's another common topping is is gravy or or ketchup. So. I could totally see gravy being great, yeah. especially if it's it was like... It's funny that ketchup is the, like... Right? <laughs> youper way. Yeah. that seems, like, totally touristy and... We kind of assumed that when my, my aunt and uncle had mentioned it, it was just, like, a family thing, because they, they have always been... Uh, yeah, yeah, ketchup has, like, been a big part um, for them. And then it, when I read that, I was like, oh, so this is, like, a, a youper thing, maybe. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah, because um, for your people, got it. All right. Yeah, <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting. 
but they also freeze really well. So, and it can easily be reheated. So it's a great thing to make like maybe a couple of, you could freeze a few and, and have a couple more for later too. Cause I was thinking like with us, whenever we cook something, I always make too much. There's always going to be extra filling. So we could just make a couple and like freeze them, which was kind of nice. Yeah, totally. And that's what our uncle actually did. He ended up freezing a bunch that he brought and uh, brought a bunch back. So always the Uber way. <laughs> Another big Uper traditional food would be smoked fish. So smoked fish is sold up there, whether whole or in chunks. Um, and it's been hot smoked, skin on, over a roaring hardwood fire, uh, apparently, which is pretty dope. Uh, traditional methods of smoking fish would involve the fish being suspended in smokehouses over slowly smoldering wood shavings. And then the fish are then left overnight to be naturally infused with the smoke. I've always wanted to like really smoke something like that, like in a smokehouse. I don't know. It just seems so interesting. It does seem really cool. I would love to have a smoker too, but it's like, I don't eat meat. So it's like, I'm yeah, only smoking what are you fish smoke on it? <laughs> and vegetables, smoking it vegetables. seems like a lot. Just for- <laughs> it does seem like a lot to have a smoker. Hey, I guess I could cook them. for other people too. It doesn't have to be for me. But. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure there's a smoker in your future. <laughs> yeah, there probably is. <laughs> but the fish would be brined and then hot smoked for six to eight hours, which is a pretty long time. Hot smoking can be done at higher temperatures than cold smoking, which requires um, temperatures less than 80 degrees for several days, which is even longer. Good Lord, my God. Mm-hmm. I know. It's interesting. I saw some that were smoking them for even shorter periods of time and just like higher heat. So I'm, I'm curious to see like, or I wish I knew what the place that we got our smoked fish from had done to it. Yeah. Because I really, when I was eating it, I was like, how did they do this? I wonder how I'm, much variation too there is in each person's like smoking techniques. Yeah. You know? Oh, 100%. And like different things they're smoking it with, obviously, to give mm-hmm. it kind of different flavors. Um, typically like I also was thinking of like cold smoked things because I was thinking of like the smoked fish I've had previously was mostly in Seattle and they do a lot of like smoked salmon and things like that which like Mm. typically they're using they're using like a cold smoking technique I think in some of those I'm not honestly not even sure that makes more sense I was like the smoked fish that I feel like I think about doesn't don't seem like hot smoked yeah you know yeah I mean, that, I don't think the ones that I've had previously had been, but I don't know. I was yeah. like, I don't know enough is about there the techniques. You easily tell. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, there there is a little bit. So the flesh loses some of its moisture and becomes denser without being cooked with the cold smoked process. So like the color is different, I feel like. Okay. Like this one looked very much so almost like cooked fish to me, you know, like mm-hmm. it didn't look like raw in any way. But obviously some of those cold smoked ones, aren't even cold smoked. Like when you think of like lox in some cases, sometimes it's just a brine. Like it's not okay, I was going to say like, isn't lox technically smoked, but that, I don't know, it doesn't look smoked to me. Yeah, I'm <laughs> unclear. I was very unclear about it when I was researching it. Need to do more. I was like, <laughs> I don't know. But in traditionally in the U.S., cold smoked fish, um, other than salmon, is usually considered kind of like raw and therefore like unsafe to consume without cooking. Hmm. So it's not as popular because it's usually confined to more like specialty and like ethnic shops, which I thought was also kind of interesting. Yeah. You don't see it as many places. I think it's pretty popular in the Pacific Northwest to see smoked fish. And I think a lot of it is a cold smoked process with like the longer, sure, slower yeah. process because it kind of has a different like coloring to it to my, and my like, texture. Yeah. But I honestly don't know. And I, I'm definitely going to look more into it because I do enjoy smoked fish. It's definitely something I like to eat. And I, I think we, I had it also in like a dip form um, when we were in the UP, which was cool. Um, it was a jalapeno dip, which it wasn't very spicy. So that was my one critique. 
and it was mostly mayo based which i'm not a huge fan of but it was really good like on some crackers delicious yeah so i would kind of a nice different kind of dip that you don't normally get yeah totally and like the flavor was really good so Mm -hmm. like i would love to make my own like smoked fish dip and like have a little fun with that Uh, so it's definitely something i want to look into in the future for Mm -hmm. sure but really with the smoked fish like you can eat it kind of any way you want um it's really easy you can either my uncle was literally just like microwaving it but you can reheat it in the oven if you wanted to as well um, I read something that said you could, like, try to rehydrate it a little by, like, putting, like, moist paper towels with it, which I was like, it's okay. That seems yeah. weird. <laughs> I mean, it works. I know it works for other things like breads and things, so, like, I, yeah, I don't I doubt so. it. Yeah. But, yeah, it didn't seem really necessary because it is still fairly moist and, like, flaky. So, yeah, you kind of just can pick at it with your fingers or take a fork to it and kind of, like, flake a little bit off and then put it on – saltines or Ritz crackers are pretty common, I would say – um, we had a, an array of different types of crackers, <laughs> uh, which was delicious and an easy way to just like shovel some down for sure. <laughs> Yum. We had lake trout and whitefish. The whitefish, I think, was my favorite. It was a little milder, um, but they were both very good. Does it have a longer expiration date just because it's smoked? Actually, when you are thinking about it, like cold smoked fish has a longer shelf life it keeps for like weeks if sealed hmm. but the other ones usually have like a 14 day expiration date in the up typically and um, they usually keep them a little bit fresher so it does go bad a little bit faster i'm assuming interesting yeah and then the third wonderful up food that we have would be thimbleberry jam yeah jams and jellies and like preserves are just really popular up there i mean obviously in that corner of america yeah you're dealing with like long winters that are pretty like extreme so like smoked fish and and jams like that makes total sense (laughs) yeah 100 (laughs) preserve as much as yeah (laughs) and like potatoes last a while rutabaga like root vegetables like those things will last in your cellar for a while so i'm sure like these foods make complete sense when you're trying to survive like a harsh winter totally for sure (laughs) hearty people up there yeah bless their hearts yeah, I really I think that's all we learned on that trip was like, I don't know if I could live here. Yeah. Yeah. You are pretty far north. We were here in June and it's already like pretty cold and Yeah. It was definitely <laughs> definitely couldn't have been a minor, I'll tell you that. Yeah. And like it is very remote. You are out you are out there. Yeah, you're in the sticks. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was cool. Yeah, the one thing that we didn't get to try was the thimbleberry jam, and I definitely want to try it next time. You can buy it online, but it is fairly pricey um, because apparently supplies are pretty limited because they have like a short period of time that it's really available. And it's one of the most costly fruits in America, supposedly, is what I read. Um, because I mean, I've demand... never heard of it. so I'm... Me either. <laughs> I guess there's a not pretty surprised. decent demand for it, and there's really just not the supply to, like, to fill it, which is kind of cool. But yeah, they the thimbleberries, I guess, grow those bushes grow really well in the cool moist rocky soils of the up of the upper peninsula so yeah definitely something i want to try again when or try when we go up there again and then the other thing that was interesting was that our mom was talking about how some like monks at a monastery make the jam and like it's common it's a common thing for monks to do up there i guess is to sell jellies and jams which is just kind of absurd and amazing at the same time there are also like a lot of monks up there well it's so remote what else what better place to just like get away from people (laughs) and like commune with nature you know it's like i mean you're not wrong yeah Mm -hmm. it is beautiful up there it is (laughs) it is stunningly gorgeous i went for the first time in the fall and the colors up there like absolute leaf peepers dream 
I the pictures I took were all so beautiful. I just won a contest at work for my nature photog from <laughs> my trip from October because it was really beautiful. We went like the last good weekend, my partner and I, before it really got really cold. And it was pretty gray when we went, but the colors were just Still, on another yeah, level. Stunning. Absolutely mm-hmm. stunning. Yeah. And like there's just so much water and like coastline. It, it's just, yeah. Yeah. The coastline. There's a lot of like different terrain, I feel like. You know? Yeah. Like where Rocks you were with so, like, cliff sides. Yeah. And, a lot of cliff sides, mm-hmm. which were just beautiful. And yeah, so yeah. much nature up there. It's hard not to love it. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely some place that I hope to visit again for sure. Especially mm-hmm. since uh, it does have some, some familial ties for us too. It's kind of nice to have that as well. Yeah, it was special to take this trip just for that reason and kind of get some of the backstory and history of our family. And, yeah, it really um, was. Different traditions that people do. So it was definitely a very special trip. Yeah, our uncle got to show us like his, his family farm and things like that. And there was like these old ruins of this like old potato warehouse on there. And it was yeah. just, it was really cool. It's funny. <laughs> it, there's a lot of history in places like that that you yeah. never really think about, you know, but like that was, you know, the a major part in American history for oh, quite yeah. a, a period, you know, because of the, the copper industry up there and yeah, the potato industry deal. and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, we also went to the mineral museum up there and mm. it, we saw some really cool rocks. Oh my God. Really cool. Yeah. Rocks. That museum was so worth it. We <laughs> it were was. talking about it the whole weekend, like we should yeah. go. And then we actually did. And it was very worth it. It was very, very cool. Probably yeah. the most like minerals and rocks that I've seen in a contained space. So yeah, <laughs> uh, pretty impressive for sure. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about that time that we we cheers. So, I mean, obviously to the simplicity in like the necessity of cooking sometimes like where it's so functional but it's so sustaining yeah the practical nature of it good old hand pie yeah cheers to that that's a good thing yeah that alone (laughs) you're a gem you've kept many of people fed and alive yeah and just like chasing down your like ancestral foods and like familial lines and like learning more about those traditions and and more american foods and cooking like that's one of the coolest things I think too is that like you kind of learn about these little pockets that are uniquely American American yeah we've made it our own even if it came from somewhere else we've kind of transformed it into something else yeah, yeah. evolution of food baby yeah mm-hmm. that's real cheers cheers Shout out for the lost miners and their families. Oh my god, well, definitely the lost miners and their families. Poor souls, rest in peace. <laughs> Much love. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>